Thank you for taking time to listen to this Redemption Church sermon. Redemption Church exists to make authentic disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of our world. We want to help everyday people wake up to a deep, meaningful life in Christ. We pray this sermon will help. For more information about Redemption Church and for additional resources, please visit redemptionokc.com. Good morning. We'll try that again. Good morning. All right. Feels a lot better. Hey, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17 today. So if you got your Bible or your app or wherever you want to look, I'd love it if you would open it up there. How many of you went to a graduation this week? Some of you, how many of you graduated? I know there's a few of you out there that are pretty excited about that. I'm sure that some of you are getting ready for that. Some of you wish you were there and you're not there yet. Uh, if you didn't go to graduation this week, I'm going to guess that most of you have been to a graduation sometime, uh, sometime in the past, or if not, you will go in the future. When you go, let me tell you what you will expect or what you can't expect. You're going to expect really pumped up speeches about how great you are and about how amazing you're gonna be, and how you're gonna be a, a world changer. And usually when I'm at graduation, the thing I, that I laugh about when we, when we look at an 18-year-old and say you're gonna change the world, I honestly think if they're listening and even paying attention at all, they're probably sitting there going like, me? Like, I'm gonna change the world? Like, I just wanna get a date. Like, I just was hoping that I'd have to stay at home by myself on Friday night. I was hoping that if I signed on to play video games, that some friend of mine out there in the other world would somehow connect with me and I'd feel connected playing video games. And like, that was the highest aspiration I had. I didn't think that I was gonna be able to fix, you know, the economy and the environment and all the brokenness of our world and racial issues and all the things that are there. In fact, if you look at our world, we are the most anxious generation in all of human history. And yet we get up at at graduations and we say, you are going to overcome the world. And I think it just creates this tension. And we say these things that I think we we get on and we Google and we're doing the best we can. And and, and I I love our, our, our teachers and administration and salutatorians and valedictorians and everyone that, you know, they were Googling on the night before going like, Motivational talk, what do I say? And so we all come back and we say the same thing, like, follow your heart. You know, be true to you. You know, don't let anyone distract you from these things. And we say these wonderfully sa- wonderful sounding platitudes. But I think sometimes they don't always lead us where we want to go. And I think the reality is most of us are trying to get through the day and not mess up. Well, I got some hope for you today. We're going to look at a passage here in Acts 17 where it's an interesting passage because the Bible actually makes a judgment call. It says this group of people was more noble than that group of people. They were more noble. Nobility is not like a big thing in our world, but to be noble means to be honorable, to be faithful, to have a loftiness to yourself and a weightiness to your life. That means there's something deep and meaningful about who you are and about the things that you're about. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to jump in to the Word, and we're going to look and see what does the Bible describe as a more noble people? And more importantly, how can you and I become more noble people? 
Sound good? Want to know something about that? Let's read in Acts chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary that the Christ, for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying this, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of the many, a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leaning women. But the Jews were jealous. Taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they had dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have now come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed. And when they had heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. This is the word of the Lord. And we're going to look at those verses. And I'm going to read a little bit more uh, just a little bit later. But I wanted to uh, stop there as we take uh, kind of this first section or first episode of what happens. You notice as Paul goes to the synagogue, as was his custom, this becomes a normal practice that you see Paul do. That when he goes to a new city, he starts off in the synagogue. One, to honor the Jews. Two, because it was strategic. He thought these are the people that are most likely to respond to the word of God because they, they understood the Old Testament. So he stops in to people that believe the Old Testament and said, I want to show you from the Old Testament what all of that was about and how it ultimately pointed to a Messiah, to the Christ who was named Jesus and how Jesus fulfilled all the promises that were there. It says he taught in the synagogue three different times. Now, it's interesting that when Paul taught there, uh, he went on the Sabbath, and it, this was obviously not just a monologue. You notice the words that it uses to talk about what it is that Paul did. It said he reasoned with them, which means he explained the ins and the outs of the Scripture. He, he opened it up and, and tried to reasonably describe what was going on and explain things to him. It says uh, that, that he was helping them process the information. Friends, you understand that Christian faith is always reasonable. That no one's asking you to put blind faith in the nothingness of the universe. No one's asking you to put blind faith in some vague concept that's just floating around in the ether of the world. Christianity is always reasonable. It's certainly more than just mental comprehension, but it's never less than that. And so Paul answered their questions and he made a case for Christ. And it says that, it says that he reasoned to them where? From, it says, from the Bible, meaning that Christ's primary direction, the place he focused on, and the thing he used to explain the truth to them was that he went to the scriptures. That from the scriptures, he reasoned with them and explained to them that which is true. Do you know that in the early church, that the people of the early church became known as people of the book? that they were those who believed that the Bible was true. In fact, their reputation in the broader world was, those are people of the book. Why? Because they were obnoxious with it. They were constantly opening the Bible, quoting the Bible, memorizing the Bible, praying the Bible, talking about the Bible, pointing the Bible, teaching the Bible, reasoning from the Bible with people about that which is true in the universe because they understood they didn't know it all. They needed to go to a source with a higher 
understanding than they did. So they looked to the scriptures with an authority that they could trust. Now it says Paul explained to them two things primarily from the scriptures. In fact, it says that he was explaining and proving that it was necessary for one, Christ, the Christ to suffer, and two, the Christ or the Messiah to raise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you was the one that all the Old Testament scriptures pointed to as the Messiah or the Christ or the Savior that God was sending to rescue the world. So he's going to a synagogue. He's going to Jewish believers who believed and knew the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. And he's saying, look, all of these scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, all of it pointed to Jesus as the one that was the fulfillment of the scriptures and the one that you need to understand. So he equates the word of God with what we call the gospel, the good news that Jesus the Messiah has come. It's interesting because this is very similar to what Luke did in Luke, and I mean what Jesus did in Luke chapter 24. Jesus, right after he was resurrected, he appears and he goes and he goes on a, on a walk with these two guys and they don't recognize who he is because they knew that in Jerusalem, Jesus had died and been buried. So Jesus is talking to him and he begins to explain to them. And it says this, it says, in Jesus, it says beginning with Moses and all the prophets, the Old Testament, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, meaning he walked them from the beginning of the Bible all the way through and he says, all of these things are about me, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus said to them. What was the response that those two gentlemen had when they finally, when the light bulb clicked and they realized that was Jesus explaining all of that to us? It says in verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. It's such a beautiful thing. Friends, do you realize that that's the effect that this book ought to have on you? That your, your heart ought to leap out of its chest. It ought to be like it's on fire, pounding with, with, with the reality that this is true. This is what happens to us when we finally understand that the scriptures are all not about you doing the right thing so that you can save yourself, but the scriptures are all about everything that Jesus Christ has already done in order to save you, and he offers it to you as a free gift. And even though you blew it, he says, come to me, and I will give you rest, and I will give you new life, and I will take away your shame, and I will make you white as snow, and I will give you forever life, an abundant life now and forevermore so that you can be with me. And when you understand that to be true, and all you have to do is trust him and look to him, and when you understand that all of this points to Jesus and what he did for you, it ought to make your heart burn and just come to life within you. And that's exactly what happens here when Paul explains this to in Acts chapter 17. In fact, the gospel message connects across social classes. It says, some of the Jews responded positively. A great many of the devout Greeks the devout Greeks were those who had left kind of polytheism of, of Roman and Greek culture and, and trusted the monotheism of the Old Testament scriptures. And because they began to understand this, when, G, when, when Paul explained that Jesus is the one all that pointed to, they came to life. And it says a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Now, we don't know exactly who these women are, but you see this pattern over and over that when the gospel comes, the, the women of the city respond positively to it. So you see that the gospel message cuts across classes. It's rich and poor. It cuts through, through racial or ethnic divides of Jew and Gentile. It cuts through male and female. But everyone is responding to the truth of God's word. It says, and together they all joined Paul and Silas. Now, what it's saying is, in some ways, he's saying they, 
they went through the membership workshop at the church of Thessalonica, meaning they, they became part of the church. You guys realize that there are no Lone Ranger Christians. That, that no one becomes a Christian and goes and sits by themselves under a tree for the rest of their lives. They become a Christian and they immediately go, where are the other people that are now my family? Where's the community of people that think like, that, that trust this too so that I can encourage them and they can encourage me and we can live on mission together. So they joined Paul and Silas in this new community called the church. But that's not the only group that's here, right? There's also another group that's the opposition. You know, when the world responds to the word, there's always mixed results and mixed reactions. Now, in this passage, what you see is there's some of the people that they push back against it. It's easier to revolt than it is to repent, right? And push back against the gospel than it is to admit, man, I don't have it all together. I need help. Why don't you come tell me how I can do better? But none of us like to live in that world. But the gospel comes to us first and says, you are more broken and sinful than you ever realized. And yet there's a Christ who came for you. That means you're more loved and accepted in him than you ever dreamed possible, as one famous man has liked to say. And there's a passage, or as you look at this passage, it's interesting that it says that they grabbed the men, or they, they grabbed the rabble. Uh, rabble's an interesting word, isn't it? I mean, it's just, you kind of want to say it, like you want to come and go, rabble. Like it's just one of those words that sounds like what it is. And it just means, it really could be translated as lowlifes. These were people that they hung around the marketplace, just kind of listen to the hubbub of the day. Uh, in our world, these are the men and women hanging out on Twitter that are like, oh, I'll show you how to think about this. And they're like doing the thing. And like that, that's who this would be in our world. It would, the rabble, the lowlifes that are just, they're the hangers on that just want to stir trouble uh, on Twitter, online. Here they did that in the marketplace. And so they begin to stir up things and cause a revolt. Opponents of truth often lead with a mob mentality, don't they? That's what happens here is they, they begin to encourage one another and stir up kind of a mob mentality. And what were their complaints about Paul and his friends and the message he gave? Notice what it says? It says, these men have come, are turning the world upside down. More, more than they even realized, didn't it? They're saying is they were disturbing, they were breaking up the status quo. They were breaking up the power structures of that world. They were not honoring Caesar. Now, these people didn't really like Caesar either, but they, but they didn't want the, someone to come in and disrupt the status quo. So when they did, they began to push back against that. And the other thing they said, they're saying that there's another king named Jesus, and they're not worshiping Caesar as the only king. You know, the interesting thing about this is they were halfway right, weren't they? See, the, these men were saying that Jesus was a king. They're not a king of this world like Caesar. And they weren't calling for an overthrow of the Roman Empire. They were, they were calling for something much bigger than that. They were literally turning the world upside down. They were overthrowing this power. The, the man who, who was a powerless pauper on the throne in Rome was nothing compared to King Jesus and the power that he held. And so they're going to point in a totally different direction. But basically what happens was they uh, forced them to, over, uh, to, to leave. And so they, uh, they charge them some fees and extort them and send them off. There's this poor guy named Jason in this passage. It just makes me laugh. Uh, like, I don't know, Jason never sounds like a Bible, Bible name. Like, it feels like it shouldn't be there. I always read Jason. I'm like, really, Jason? But uh, the poor guy Jason's like, hey, why don't, I'll let you stay with me while you're in town. And all of a sudden, this mob shows up and drags Jason off and, you know, is like throwing him on trial. And he's like, dude, I just opened my home. I don't know what I'm here. Uh, but sometimes uh, when, you, when you engage with the gospel, you get dragged into the fray by the mob. Friends, this is what happens in our world. We, we don't like the truth 
sometimes. And so we push back against it. But Paul's not going to allow that to derail him. He's going to go on to the next city. Let's look at what happens as he goes to and continues the mission in Berea. Verse 10. It says, And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And uh, when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, not a few of the Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds again. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off by way of the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. And those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving the command for Silas and Timothy to come to them, he departed as soon as possible. So here you see this passage that these and those who were in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. I mean, they were more honorable. They were more lofty. They were more faithful. They were more respectable. And what it's saying is that, they, uh, the, the, that the Bible, and what, in, in the estimation of Luke who's writing this, said that they had a better approach to life. What was it that gave them a better approach? It was their receptiveness to the word of God. The fact that they were eagerly receiving the word of God for themselves meant that they were more noble. Now, basically, Paul engages this group with an in-depth Bible study. Uh, I love what this looks like. Paul sits down with them and is like, hey, let's have a small, let's have a, a small group. It's kind of big, but let's have a small group. And let's enter, engage in some give and take, and let's enter into some dialogue. And so there's asking and answering of questions. He wanted to help them discover for themselves that they could trust Jesus and everything that Jesus said and taught. Friends, can I just say this clearly? We want to be a church full of Bereans. We want to be a church that looks just like this. We want to be a people that God looks at and says, they are more noble because they're eagerly receptive to the word of God. It's why when we have small groups, do you know what we do in our small groups? You circle up and you open the book and you begin to say, how does this apply to me? And how should I live in light of this? And where do I find truth to hold on to in the ups and downs of life? And how does this speak to the way in which I think about uh, my worldview? And how does this shape my morality? And how does this form my trust and my identity? And how does this give me hope? And so we gather people together to talk about that and to pray about that and to remind ourselves of truth and to encourage ourselves in that because we are to be people of the book who don't just do this by ourselves, but we live in community. It's why when you go through a membership workshop here, it's not all about, hey, come jump through all the hoops so you can be on the inside of Redemption Church. Our membership is about discipleship. And so what we do is we actually send you home with a Bible study. So you sit down and you open this book and you begin to look and say, what is the church all about? How, does, how did God structure the church? And what is the church supposed to be? And why, why does the church ask me to, to give? And why do we take communion? And why should I be baptized? And why? It's because we want you to see for yourself what the scripture says. It's not just something that we made up. You know that, right? Like things we do here at churches and stuff, we just sat down and went, this would be cool. Let's try this. But we look at the scriptures. So Everything we do flows through that. It's why we're building an equipping ministry whose entire purpose is to develop you so that you are trained and equipped and able to rightly handle the word of God and apply it to your life and to live in light of the mission that's there. We want to be a Berean people because there's no other way to experience deep, meaningful life in Christ apart from the word. 
that tells us about him and points to him. It's, it's why it says that they were, I love the word it says, it says that they were eager for the word. Uh, what it's saying is they were like a bunch of teenage boys at dinner time. You ever seen that when dinner runs a little late? My family's known, like when I say dinner starts at 6.30, they know that probably means 6.45. So when they walk up and I'm not done, they're like, well, you're right on your schedule. And so they do, and they start hanging around the, the outside of the island and being like, what can I just kind of start you know, dimpling on before the meal gets here? And then the meal gets there. And then they finish the meal and they go back for seconds and their friends come over and their friends go back for thirds. And they, you know, they're, they're devouring it because they're hungry. Friends, are you hungry for the word? Are you eager for the word? Do you go back for seconds and thirds sometimes? Because it's just not enough. And you just be like, man, I want to bulk up on this stuff and strengthen myself with that, which is true. How hungry are you? I think it's important to think about what it looks like. They were in the word daily because this was their nourishment and they weren't about to skip a meal. Very few of us skip a meal as we run through life. But we find a way to grab some food. We need to do the same thing spiritually and feed ourselves. Verse 11 says they were examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What are these things? Well, it points back to what we talked about earlier, that Jesus was the one that God sent to be the savior of the world. And he suffered and he died and then he resurrected victorious over all of life. And what they were understanding, the expression for examining was like the legal process in a trial that you're examining to see if this is really true. Why were they so intent and focused upon it? Because friends, if Jesus really did come and die for you and he really did raise from the dead, then he deserves all of your life. You understand that the point of the Bible is not all the things you have to do to save yourself, but ultimately if the point of the Bible is Jesus has already done it all and you are, you are completely secure in him and you are saved, he's your rescuer and he is your king, he is your savior, and he is your Lord. And if that is true, then everything else in your life is gonna fall into place and be okay. So they were intent about deciding these things. And friends, you need to know that's true. It's not the, the primary thing of the Bible is not the ethical teaching and the morality. Although those things are important, the primary thing is Jesus. It's who God is and what God has done for you. And if you get that right, everything else will fall into place. And that means that, that if that's true, it has enormous implications for us. That means your identity is in Christ, not in your desires. It means your finances are, finances are directed by him. It means sexuality is not your God. It means that your view of power says that the greatest person is the servant. It means uh, th that your value shift. It means that prayer is less asking for all the things we want and more about learning to want God and to enjoy him forever. It changes everything. If you understand that Jesus died for you and rose again victorious to give you new life and forever life. Friends, maybe you're a skeptic and a doubter who's here who's unsure what you believe. Can I challenge you today to go do the work? Go get in the scriptures. Go examine for yourself whether or not they are true. Our, full, our world is full of lazy critics of Christianity who haven't actually done the intellectual work of examining to see if these things are true. Friends, don't, give, don't go live a chat GPT spirituality made up of some artificial intelligence chatbot who makes up what you ought to believe. Get in the word. Do the work. Have the intellectual integrity to go in and say, is this true and can I prove it to be so? 
and examine it for yourself. Don't Google your faith. Go to the scriptures. For thousands of years, people have tried to stamp out the truth of the Bible and they found it to be true and that they can build a life on. And friends, more than anything else in this world, you need to know intellectually, biblically, experientially, that this word is true and that you can bank on it and that you can build your life upon it and that will sustain you because then everything else will fall into place. In verse 12, it says, many of them therefore believed, not a few of the Greek high women of high standing as well as the men. Friends, it happened there and it's happened for millennia ever since. That when people honestly seek the truth in the word, it changes their lives. And I don't just want you to take, it, uh, take my word for it. I actually want to bring some people up and uh, have a brief conversation with a few other people from our body. You guys go ahead and make your way up here. Uh, throughout history, people have learned to receive the word. And, and um, you guys know I'm kind of paid as a professional Christian Bible study guy. Um, and so, you know, I, I sort of have to do this and that's all well and good, but I want you to, to hear from some people who maybe don't fit that description. And, and so I want to introduce you to a few friends this morning um, who have been learning, you guys come on up, learning to trust the word uh, for themselves and kind of what, what that looks like in their life and, and how it is that they're learning to live this out. So uh, let me just introduce you to these friends. First is Audra Swindell, who uh, is on staff here and works with us and works with our equipping ministry and our women's ministry. And uh, then is Nathan Jennings. Uh, Nathan came here as a single college student, actually got to do, he and Macy's wedding a few years ago. And he's been diving in deep with our men's group, kind of learning how to study the scripture and continuing to grow uh, with his men's, his men's ministry, uh, with our men's ministry. And then Lauren Rader. Um, Laura, she is mama, if you didn't know. Uh, She's also about to be mama a second time. I gave her a hard time. I was like, don't you love it when the preacher says, hey, why don't you come sit in front of the church at 35 weeks pregnant? Uh, it was the first time. So, uh, but she has been in an equipping group that we started this past year with, uh, with my wife and with Audra and diving in, studying the scriptures and getting equipped and trained as that as well. So I wanted you just to hear from them kind of what their experience has been as they started studying the scriptures. So uh, welcome, friends. Y'all ready to jump in here? Yeah, we'll clap for him in just a minute. We'll get back to that. Uh, let me just start with this. What initially lit a fire in you to make you want to dive into the Bible personally? Not because you had to or someone made you, but because you actually wanted to study the scriptures for yourself. Nathan, you want to start? Oh, sorry. I should have gone with Mike. Yeah, so I actually grew up in the church. Um, when I was uh, young, I was homeschooled all through like eighth grade. Uh, for high school, I went to a private Christian school, so I, I had all the intellectual head knowledge of the Bible and Christianity, but at some point in life, it just had to become real, <clears throat> and that kind of came through a little bit in high school, but then more so after high school and in college, uh, just getting out into the world on my own, and even at a Christian college, even uh, being exposed to things that didn't really add up to what I was taught growing up, and it caused me to kind of have to really dig into scripture and to kind of verify what I had learned and been taught earlier on in life. <clears throat> and so really for me, it was kind of the, the opposition to my faith that caused me to want to go deeper. And then just uh, I was going through life uh, with conversations with friends and coworkers, uh, talking about cultural events and divulging on like worldview uh, questions. I just had to really dig in and able to, to order in order to really be able to answer those questions and know why. Yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, I'm kind of similar. I also grew up um, in a Christian home, very like fundamentalist background. I also, I guess you could say I did the whole nine yards, you know, 
private Christian school, private Christian college, and then seminary. <laughs> and so that was kind of my background, but I do feel like I actually started pursuing um, a very like deep personal relationship with Jesus actually whenever my husband and I got married. Um, my husband kind of just led by example. He would wake up during our first year of marriage just every morning and would spend time in the Word. And I knew that he was doing that in the morning before I would get up, and he never <laughs> made me feel guilty for not doing that. Um, but over time, I did just kind of decide, like, you know what, like, I think I also want to incorporate that into my spiritual life. Um, and that's kind of what the beginning was uh, for me. Yeah, when I was, I remember being a teenager and thinking that, just kind of seeing things in the Bible that felt, to be honest, inconsistent. Like, I remember he, seeing in the Old Testament, Rahab, that she is... Uh, she, she lies to protect someone, but then she's called faithful in the New Testament, right? And then I see Paul saying that a woman sh- saves through childbirth. And then in the middle, I hear this guy saying that, that meaningless, meaningless, life is meaningless. And, and it felt like a puzzle. And there were parts of it, like where the edge pieces that were real clear, it was real obvious where they fit and how they go. But then it felt like in a 5,000 piece puzzle where there's a lot of sky sometimes, right? It's just like the sky pieces. And I just, I wanted to know how these pieces fit together and, and how they, and how they work together. So, yeah. That's good. I love in each of those stories how, you know, at some point you all had some background, but then you had to kind of make it your own. And that journey looks, looks unique for everyone. And for each one of us has our own story and our own journey, our own mentality, our own approach, our own background, and all those things come together. But, but what is true is there has to come a point where, like the Bereans, you say, man, I need this. I need to do the work and I need to figure out and own this for myself. And I think that's really helpful. What does that look like for you all on kind of a daily or weekly basis as you try to get in the word? And we can, well, let's just reverse it, Otter. Okay. Let you start on this one. Yeah, so for me, it's always been, it depends on the season of, of life that I'm in, you know. So there's college and I had lots of time, extra time in college, and I could just like read my Bible and pray and it was great and all that. And then you get married or you start a job or you have young kids and I've been in the the stay-at-home mom, young kid season for a while now. And so it very much, I can't do like a year-long Bible program or that kind of stuff because somewhere in February, I feel like a total heel that I haven't been able to do it right. And so I have found for me, it's like I I read what I think we're going to study the following Sunday. So whatever that is, read it a few times during the week, ask it the questions, what are you saying? What does it mean? How does it apply? And so that when I show up on Sunday, I'm ready to hear what, what Jeff says or the pastor says about it and then to talk about it in our small group so that I really can try to internalize it over time. Yeah, so um, I do have a daughter who (laughs) just left, so I normally try to wake up in the morning before her. um, And my routine that I currently have is completely about to be flipped up on its head. Like, I have no idea what it's going to be when baby number two comes. But Right now, I'll wake up around like 5.30, and uh, that normally gives me about an hour before Violet gets up to get into the Word, and I kind of choose a book of the Bible that I just study through, and right now I'm going through Jeremiah, and it's very dense, so I do typically pair what I'm reading with some type of commentary, and along with that, I also um, have a prayer journal. And so my prayer journal helps me write everything out because I cannot focus to save my life. And that's just something that has been really helpful for me over the years. Um, and then also, 
I read one or two books um, with my sister-in-law throughout the year. Um, and so we typically meet once a week and we kind of go through the um, books that we're reading to, uh, together. And kind of from there, we just bounce off ideas from each other and just challenge each other spiritually. And that's basically it. Yeah, so for me, uh, weekly habits that I do, I mean, on like Tuesday nights, we have small group, and then on Wednesday mornings, I go to the uh, men's 0600 uh, group where we really dive into scripture and just work through it together, and both of those places have helped me to cultivate the daily practices that I'm trying to work on in my own life, Um, and one of the things that came out of actually the men's group was working on scripture memorization, and for me, I've kind of I've always had trouble keeping up a daily uh, Bible reading practice, um, but going through scripture memorization was kind of another way for me to keep, uh, keep it on my mind even throughout the day, um, even when I'm not consistently reading the Bible. And of course, the, like, bo- both things, uh, reading scripture and uh, memorizing scripture, uh, both kind of ebb and flow for me throughout my daily like, days, weeks, months, and years. Uh, sometimes I'm better than other times. Um, But I have found that it's easiest for me to keep on going back to it when I am consistent and when I'm going through it over and over again. That's good stuff. Uh, I love the fact that there's different seasons and there's different ways and different things to operate. And uh, I think our encouragement to you would be, don't just look at this as a box you have to check or something you have to do a certain way, but to really cultivate the heart that says, man, I'm hungry for God's word and I'm gonna examine it. I'm gonna find the truth I need to hold on to in this season of life. I'm going to find some way to dive in and do that in the ins and outs and ups and downs of, of the kind of everyday life that we have. Um, okay, last question for you all. In Acts 17, um, I, I love how these everyday men and women are examining the scriptures daily to see if these things are so. And I, I guess my question for you here is, what, why do you think it's so important for our spiritual health to do this work for ourselves and not just rely on preachers and podcasts and other, one, other professionals out there doing the work, but to actually get in the word uh, personally for yourself. Yeah, I guess I'll start. Um, just to, uh, There's a, a bunch of verses actually that come to mind on that. Um, for example, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, talking about how scripture is God-breathed and is useful for the list, you know, the, the common passage. Uh, another one that comes to mind is uh, Hebrews uh, 4.12, which I'll actually read. Uh, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And both of these passages, uh, 2 Timothy and Hebrews, uh, they both have a couple of like warnings that come before them, actually, which I'll read from Hebrews again. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So I think the, the importance for me and for all of us, really, is that if we're not cultivating Scripture in our lives and cultivating the Word, then we're, we're going to fall into disobedience. <clears throat> and then also kind of a, on another note a little bit, uh, going further down in Hebrews, uh, in verse 16 it says, Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, and Scripture calls uh, Jesus our mediator and our high priest, so we don't need to go to Christ through like a priest or through Jeff. Like They're there for our teaching and um, teaching us what to think, but we also need to take that, what we've received, and then go and verify that it's true and make sure that what they're teaching is consistent. Uh, A couple other verses, too, that I'll just briefly highlight. Um, In Ephesians, uh, Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God, and he calls the the Bible the the word of the, or the, 
yeah, the word of the truth or the, the sword of the spirit is what it's called. And so if we're not um, sharpening that sword, then how can we expect to be able to stand up against the devil? So, um, so for me, I, I definitely think that obviously scripture is one of the clearest way that God communicates with us. And so I think that God communicates to us clearly through scripture, prayer, and people. And by kind of cutting out scripture, we're cutting out a huge part of a way that God uh, very clearly communicates with us. Um, and it's also just his holy word. And it's one of the ways that we deepen our relationship with him so, so clearly. Um, and so, yeah. Yeah, I would just say that for me, going back to like kind of the puzzle, the puzzle uh, illustration, like for all these years, first starting out is kind of coming to the scriptures of like, is what you say true? Are you reliable? Are you trustworthy? Is what you say in the beginning the same? Are you the same God in the beginning as you are in the end? And and just like looking at the ebbs and flows throughout Scripture, like that has created such a place where even there are st- though there are still places where I have pieces missing. So many of the uh, the other pieces have come together for me because I was committed to to figuring that out and looking at it myself and and also looking at it myself with others in a community of believers who can push on the things that I think or believe when sometimes I might want to go a different way. That's so good. Appreciate you guys sharing. Thanks so much for offering your insights and your thoughts. And um, can we say thank you to them? I'd love for you all to get to hear from someone else and just to hear from some everyday folks. And, and what I want you to take away from that is you can do this, that, that you can yourself sit down and open up this book and that you have the Holy Spirit, that if you're a believer and you've trusted Christ, that his spirit has, has taken up residence in you. And the scriptures say that he will teach you the way of truth. And so you can open up the Bible and you can do uh, the things which they talked about. Do you know why I care so deeply about getting you to explore the Bible personally? Like y'all know I don't get like a commission if you do, right? Like that's just not, this isn't like a rigged game where God's up in heaven and is like, oh, Redemption Church read the Bible, someone give Jeff a bonus. Like I don't get a commission if you do this. This isn't for me. I want you to, to dive into the word for you because you need it because you need anchors to hold on to in the storms of life, because you need light to guide your way through the darkness of this world, because you need things to build you up and strengthen you to stay strong to that which is true in your life. And so that's what I want. The reason I care so deeply about it is because I care so much about you. Uh, If you look at what Paul is teaching them, this really goes back to Old Testament stuff. If you look at Psalm 1, let me just read this, the very beginning of the Psalms. It says, blessed or flourishing, or thriving, is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the word of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That man or woman is like a tree planted by streams of water that always yields its fruit in time, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers or flourishes. I want you to be planted by streams of life-giving, nourishing water that will bear fruit in your life and cause you to flourish in time. And I trust that that's true. 
But you notice it also says, but the wicked are not so, for they are like the chaff that the wind drives away, meaning their life is weightless. And it, it goes with the wind. The wicked in scripture are not those who sin more than I do. It's those who ignore what the Lord says. Uh, those who do not bring their life in conformity under Christ. Friends, can I just close with this? Will you plant or position your, you will plant your, or position your life somewhere to be influenced by someone. You can choose whether it's those who run the way of the world or whether it's those who listen to the way of the word. But where is it that you're gonna find truth for life? Are you yourself planted by streams of living water? Are you positioned and posturing your heart to eagerly receive the word of God as that which is true for you? Because if you do, you will find that it confirms your faith, it redirects your doubts, it deepens your convictions, it seals truth in your heart, and it guides your decisions and your directions. Well, of life starts and ends with surrender and submission to Christ as King and as Savior and to his word as that which is true and trustworthy. I encourage you to read as though your life depends upon it. Friends, come to see this book as a personal letter from God to tell you where life is really found. And build your life upon this as a rock that sustains you. And it will become a place that deeply roots you in a life-giving, nourishing stream that feeds you. And friends, we dare not let go of these things in the ups and downs of life. I want to close with a short video clip that demonstrates why this is so important. If you've been around here for very long at all, you know that Tim Keller is a hero of mine. Uh, we've given away hundreds of his books here. It's a guy that if I say anything that sounds smart, it probably came from him. Uh, you should probably just know that. Like, oh, Jeff sounded smart. He probably read Keller saying something about that. Uh, a little over a year ago, Tim Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he died on Friday, just a couple days ago. Uh, I wanna share this clip with you because I think it shows you the importance of the truth of God really can be to your life. Uh, he recorded this clip in answer to a question uh, just a few months ago, knowing that his days were short and that his time on earth was short-lived. And Keller was asked, um, what would you say to a young Christian who's nervous about the future? To listen in to his answer. Well, well, okay, let me just say something that Kathy and I have talked to each other about in the last year. If Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead, if he really got up, walked out, was seen by hundreds of people, talked to them, if he was raised from the dead, then you know what? Everything's going to be all right. Ooh. Whatever you're worried about right now, whatever you're afraid of, everything is actually going to be okay. Ooh. Uh, because, because you got to remember, we're not just talking about resurrected people. Jesus Christ is, and this is where Christianity is unique, we're talking about a resurrected world, meaning other, uh, there's plenty of other religions that talk about a future afterlife, which is a non-material world. In other words, you get a consolation for the world we've lost. Mm -hmm. Christianity says it's not just your bodies are being resurrected, but the the world is actually going to be a material world that's cleansed from all evil and suffering and, uh, and sin. And if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, then the whole world is going to be, in a sense, resurrected. Mm. And everything is going to be okay. Mm. Everything. You don't, even, you don't know how, I don't know how, but it will be. So 
Uh, and you know what? Actually, it would, right now, I couldn't possibly be convinced that Jesus was not raised from the mm. dead, either intellectually or existentially. So whenever I'm, and by the way, but Kathy and I, listen, we cry, we, had, we, we cried a lot last mm. night. Sometimes the reality of the shortness of what we have left here just overwhelms us, and we were just weeping together and, and crying. And then you say, if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it is going to be okay. And then you can wipe your tears, but you don't stop mm. crying. Uh, it's like salt in the wound that keeps the wound from going bad. Mm. Mm. Uh, that keeps the wound from getting infected. But it doesn't mean that until the end of, you know, until we actually meet Jesus Christ, we, we still have our wounds. So they aren't going to be mm. healed. But they'll be healed by his so I think I still could, yeah, I would still go back to if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and he was, you're going to be okay. Friends, Tim Keller is now at home with the Lord. His faith is right now sight. The puzzle that Audra talked about, sometimes in this world we look and it's like, man, I see some pieces I even got a corner piece and maybe some outside borders and I got some pieces in here, but there's a lot that's unsure right now. For Tim Keller, he sees the whole puzzle. And there's nothing that feels vague. There's nothing that feels unsure, but he sees it with clarity. We see it now in part, but he sees it in full. And friends, between, in the in-between times, until we get to the point where we go to be with the Lord, this is the anchor. This is the nourishment. This is the thing that sustains you. Let's be like the Bereans. Let's be those who are hungry for the Word of God, who nourish ourselves in the Word of God, who run to it day in and day out, trusting it, because it gives us truth to stand on in all of life, but especially in the difficult things of life. Let me pray for us. Father, would you make us people of the book? Would you... Cause us to love your word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've not left us blind and in the dark, but that you've given us a word to be a lamp and light to our path. Father, I pray that you would help us to depend upon you day by day, discovering its truth. We might count on it until we go to be with Jesus. I pray in his name. Amen.